You know I love the microwave. Even enjoying all the jokes I get on social media about how I just cook everything in the microwave. Listen, I'm going to laugh last. Especially when you see how sick the IO collection from any day is. It's matte black. It's the color I've been bugging them for for three plus years. And you can get it for 10% off your any day order when you visit cookanyday.com with promo code Dave. And uh, it's awesome. It's a great Christmas present. Any day is the best. I use it every day. I mean, this is like, I feel like the hair club for men person. It's, it's, it really is a game changer for me. 20% off Athletic Brewing. Athletic Gift 20 is the code. $40 off Cometeer. Visit cometeer.com slash Chang. Uh, your first two orders, $40 off. 15% off East Fork Pottery, friend of Dave. And of course, Momofuku Goods, our pantry items and our instant noodles or chili crunch, the whole array of items available online at shop.momofuku.com. You can get 10% off if you use the code DOMO10. I think it's a pretty good gift as well to send to all your loved ones. Um, it'd be weird if I do it to my loved ones. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> anyway, also check out Major Domo Media YouTube channel. We got a lot of content coming up, a lot of funny things, and a lot of bad food that we made because we had no idea what we were doing. But it tasted good. It tasted pretty good. Funny stories. Anyway, visit us on the YouTube channel. Uh, we're, we're just getting started there. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dumma Media. Thank you a lot, Tango, as always. We have a guest today. You may have heard him. He is a frequent contributor to the Bill Simmons podcast. He also has his own show called The Play Sheet. It's a thoughtful, analytic look. It's strategies and schemes that define football. He's, uh, he's on a couple other podcasts, right? He's uh, the, Philly, the Philly special. Extra point taken in the Philly special. He is uh, the one and only Ben Solak. And when I first heard him, I didn't know anything about him. And I have to say, in the entire Ringer universe, there's a couple of people we're going to get on. Van Lathan is the other. But Ben Solak, uh, um, I got to say, one of the most interesting people I've never met or spoken to. Um, I don't understand it. It sort of freaks me out. Because I think he's the smartest mind in all of football. And he doesn't even play football. That's a blanket statement. But I'm serious. I, I, I'm, I'm bewildered at his football knowledge. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm, I, I want to figure out how the hell he got there. Because once you look at him, maybe, maybe, he's got, maybe he played like football in high school. I don't know. I don't know. I know nothing. So we're going to find out about it. We're going to do a three things. We're going to do a slice and we're going to do the interview with Ben Solak. All right. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf 
blackberry iced tea. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. I got uh, three things, um, and it's happening quite a bit. It's, it's some things before the three things. I finished The Devil's Plan on Netflix. Have you watched it, you know? It's in Korean. It's very good. It's very good. In fact, it's so good that there's a show that Chris Ying and I have been working on that has nothing to do with The Devil's Plan, but it's so good because some of the mechanics in the show were some of the mechanics that we thought were a good idea. And uh, maybe some other people thought it wasn't a good idea. So it's given us some hope that this crazy TV show idea that Chris and I have can come to fruition. But The Devil's Plan, I don't know. Like, I understood like 50% of it in Korean. I don't know what it would be like to not know Korean to some degree because it's a crazy-ass show. I'm just giving you a recommendation. I think it's very, very good. And I won't tell you who won it, but man, I, I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm in love. He, he, he's very smart. Very smart, amongst other things that attributes that this person has. Um, did I just, def- I just ruined the show, right? You spoiled it. Well, I spoiled it. It's been out there. Big deal. <laughs> he's fucking handsome. That's all I'm going to say. I love these ideas of a show that I would like to participate on. That's the kind of show that I want to create, the show that I would like to be on. And uh, I would love to be on The Devil's Plan because here's the reality. You can't be a dumb-dumb, and I'm a dumb-dumb, and I want to see how people react to my stupidity in trying to figure out challenges and puzzles that um, I would not be able to do so well. So, And I think they'd probably think, oh... <laughs> He's just playing rope-a-dope strategy. No, 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 no. I have no idea. They were doing like math equations. And I watched a clip with Chris Ying and Chris Chen and they knew what was happening. And I, I didn't even know the order of like a string of equation when you do multiplication and division and all in one line. Yeah. Do you know that? I didn't even remember what a, uh, a uh, square root was. Wait, are you talking about like, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally? Yeah. Like- yeah. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, I don't even remember what a, what a square root was other than four is two, right? <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. The square root of four is two. Yeah. But what is the definition of a square root? Do you know? I mean, the... Any number that's not... No, that's a prime number. What's a square root? Uh, so a square root is basically... The easy way to explain it is just find the number that multiplies by itself and becomes what's under that bracket, right? See... People think that I joke about doing poorly in school. And let me tell you, mathematics, I mean, that math skill, that muscle in my brain is so atrophied that uh, it's not moving ever again. So, yeah. But I could see you doing great in arithmetic. No. Like, the only math I can do <laughs> is if there's sports behind it or betting or craps table. 
That's it. Crops table. I'm fucking John Nash and Beautiful Mind. I got I got shit coming everywhere. I can do it all. I'm just saying. If my school taught gambling, I would have gotten fucking straight A's in math. So it ain't my fault. Um, but uh, you should check out Devil's Plan. I, I I think it's great. I'm just saying, if there's a season two, make me a contestant. Problem is, my Korean also sucks. Maybe maybe that's part of the challenge. Like they'll put a bunch of shit in English, and then also it's like, like the they gotta stop get getting these white people on these fucking Korean programs that speak perfect fucking Korean. It's making me look bad. <laughs> Come on, I mean, first you got Lisa, who's not even fucking Korean on Blackpink, and she speaks perfect Korean and Japanese. Come on, man, this is embarrassing. But. Isn't it, isn't it like kind of bewildering? And, and like, don't you t- kind of take pride in that? I've always seen the, the white person who speaks Korean flawlessly. Like, like, there was like a, um, or for instance, like my cousin's husband is white and he's, uh, he works for the, I think he works for the consulate in Korea. Uh, uh, but he speaks perfect Korean. And then he'll look at me like, did I say something wrong? And I'm like, no, I just don't understand what that word means. <laughs> like, your Korean is better than mine. Well, I can tell you, I don't appreciate it. When I was at Yonsei University, the teachers were bewildered. I went there during college, uh, which is, I don't know, one of the top two, three universities in Korea. And it's a badge of honor. Every parent that has their kids go to Seoul National or Yonsei. What's the other nerd school? I believe it's Korea National, but I'm not entirely sure. It's Seoul and Korea National and Yonsei, right? And and Yua for the for the ladies. Oh, Yua. My mom went to Yua. Um, but if you, if you go there, you're, you're like, you're a fucking nerd, right? Straight up. Right. You know, you're a nerd. Yes, you are. That's like the aspirational school in Korean culture. That's like literally what these kids, you see them studying their ass off. Like they are trying to get into one of those schools. What's weird is like my, uh, my grandfather spent time at Yonsei, all these things. Anyway, what I wanted to say is my reading comprehension, uh, of Korean, of Korean at the time was so bad that the teachers had me with people that never spoke Korean or read Korean ever. They were like working for governments around the world. You had people from all over the world doing this immersion program in Yonsei to learn Korean for the first time. They put me in with them. Motherfuckers. And you know why? This is my conspiracy belief. Because I could translate to them what was being said in Korean. At least, like, rudimentary beginning Korean. I can speak that much. And I, I think I, I was chosen to basically be the TA, the teacher's assistant in Korean Basic 101. So that's my badge of honor. Um, one more thing. Um, three things I think about before I think about the three things. Uh, Speaking of this Korean language, if you haven't seen uh, Greta Lee's movie, Past Lives by Greta Lee, uh, she was one of the OG Momofuku employees too, believe it or not. She's had an amazing career as an actress. You can watch her on um, that Apple show with uh, the the morning show. That's it. Uh, Sorry, I'm a little delirious. I've been living on out of suitcase and planes and just not sleeping that much. But Past Lives, one of the best scenes in this movie. And I think that she's going to get Oscar nominated. It's definitely going to have best picture nomination, best director. 
but the the, the actor that plays her husband, who's a uh, Jewish American uh, guy, playing this this the, the role of her husband of Greta Lee's character, is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. And how he's trying to learn Korean, uh, so he can understand what you know Korean people are saying about him. I, I was like, that that was pretty fucking funny. That was pretty funny. But it's a great movie. It's a really good movie. I, I highly encourage you guys to see it. And I got to say, it's it's amazing to think that movies like that are being made today because I could never think something like that would happen about the Korean immigrant experience and our parents and all these things. But I hope my description didn't ruin it for you haven't seen it. It's a terrific movie. Uh, even Bill Simmons saw it and he liked it. I, I was, that's when I was like, well, shit, this movie's going places. The Podfather himself. Anyway, let's take a break. These are the real three things I'm thinking about. Three dishes that should be added as Thanksgiving traditions. Number one, you know, laughing at me because my transition was so insane. We all know these are not the real three things. The real three things are at the front of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> the real three things are now the three things I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. One, this is my yearly reminder that we should abolish. If I was the food czar, I would abolish pumpkin pie and replace it with a key lime pie. Listen, I'm not going to go into this whole thing about a spicy gourd, sweet spicy gourd pie. I understand that people can like it. I'm just asking that we remove it as the national symbol of Thanksgiving and put it with key lime pie. Key lime pie is delicious. It's arguably the best pie. And especially when the the reason why I say it's a better pie than spicy gourd pie is simply this one rule. The worst version of pumpkin pie is never better than the worst version of key lime pie. It's just never. It's the worst version of key lime pie is almost always good. The worst version of pumpkin pie, if you are into that thing, is not very good. And I've only been told this weird fact that if you like sports and you like NFL, that Mel Kuyper eats a pumpkin pie every day, a slice of pumpkin pie every day with whipped cream. Will I have pumpkin pie on my table at Thanksgiving? Yes. Because there's some family members that do like it. And I have to question my love of them because I think it's a terrible, it's terrible. And people get mad at me. People get super worked up about pumpkin pie. Well, they should know that being wrong is okay. Second thing. This is, this is another thing that I'm trying to say is okay. I've, I've, I've stepped away from my hatred of Turkey, right? I'm now much more in that turkeys for my kids. They want to see the big bird, that Norman Rockwell bullshit. Listen, if you don't want to serve turkey, it's okay. You can replace it with a pork butt. Momofuku bosam is always a great Thanksgiving tradition as far as I'm concerned. But here's, a, here's something I think people would question if you did it, but no one would really complain is if you just did fried chicken and bought fried chicken, everyone would be like, fuck, I was expecting turkey, but this is really good. Yeah, I'm just saying, it's not a bad idea, right? I'm not trying to say capon. When I was a younger cook, I'd be like, fuck turkey, get capon, which is a castrated male chicken. Um, 
That's stupid. Who's gonna fucking who's who's gonna buy a K-pop? Who's buying a K-pop? Nobody is. But fried chicken from anywhere is gonna be good. That is a move that I don't even have the the courage to do yet. But one day, maybe that'll be my Thanksgiving move, right? Just serve a bucket of fried chicken and all the trimmings and stuffing and everything. I've never had stuffing and fried chicken in my life. I bet you'd be fucking awesome. You know what's better than a deep fried turkey? Uh, deep fried chicken? Just saying. Just saying. Again, remind yourself. Why are you going to try to cook something that you've never cooked before or maybe once every couple of years and think that it's going to come out good? Probably not a good idea. The third thing I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, and there's many, I want to I wanna maybe eliminate the green vegetable or the roasted vegetable that no one ever eats. And I want to replace that. This is the conversation I had with Chris Yang. Cream spinach is not part of a normal iconoclastic Thanksgiving meal. Did you know that? Yes. I, but sometimes you see it, right? Very infrequently. I think that any vegetable any roasted Brussels sprouts, delicata squash, carrots, parsnips, all this root vegetable stuff that nobody wants to fucking eat, not even the vegetarians, just replace it with cream spinach. All right? I think everyone's, everyone loves cream spinach. It's going to win everyone over. Give it a shot. I put chicken bouillon in my cream spinach. It's very good. It's very, very good. So... The spread really should just be stuffing. If you want to get to the basics, stuffing, cranberry sauce. I feel like you now need, I, I, as I've gotten older, you need to have cranberry sauce because it's a nice balance. Stuffing, Dave Arnold stuffing. If you not heard about it, you should look it up on Recipe Club. Um, it is unequivocally the best stuffing recipe. I've made it maybe 24 times since last year. Really. It's stupid simple. And it's insanely delicious. And I don't give a shit what anyone says. It's the best stuffing recipe. You don't have to look at some food magazines as best stuffing recipe ever. No, this is the best stuffing recipe ever. It's Dave Arnold's. Just, just do it. Macaroni and cheese, I believe, is I'm not. We've never really been a sweet potato pie or sweet potato family for Thanksgiving. So, but definitely mashed potatoes. And I'm trying to eliminate anything that my mom might make the Korean stuff. That's a whole nother conversation. But just trying to keep this on a traditional Thanksgiving level. I think we should get rid of the root vegetables and just replace it with cream spinach. There should be no sautéed spinach, no Swiss chard, no none of that. Nobody wants to eat that. Nobody. What about green bean casserole? That's not a vegetable. That's not a vegetable. That is a texture. Okay? That is a... Green bean casserole is a study of different textures and creaminess. And it's sublime. It is beautiful. The worst version of green bean casserole is delicious. The worst version with cream of uh, mushrooms... Soup, Campbell's, is delicious. Anyone trying to do an elevated version, when I say elevated, where it's like, it's, 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 it's crunchy, it's, it, they're using hair couvert. No. Like, even if I'm making it with fresh beans, which I do, I hammer the hell out of it. It has to be almost like you're, you're using a spoon to go through a tres leches cake. That's how the texture needs to be. And it's crucial that you have the fried onions. Big fan of green bean casserole, but by no means. It's the same thing with cream spinach. Like, 
There's nothing healthy about that dish. The way you're cooking it, the reason it's delicious is because you're taking all the goodness that somebody that, you know, drinks or lives a microbiotic diet would want. You take all that shit out of there and you just make it delicious. Um, you know, just said we're going to be murdered by a bunch of people dressed as pilgrims. Fucking come at me. You're the fuckers that did all the murdering. Tell me I'm wrong. We're, we're going to die. Every, every now and then, this, this, the Dare Chang show makes me wonder if I should really invest in Did the pilgrims not slaughter a bunch of people? <laughs> and we are not fucking going there and we're cutting the segment right now. All right. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Slice of life. So... There are things that are happening in my life. Now I have to have reading glasses. Uh, sometimes when I flub a line when reading something, an ad, I, it's because I can't read the word. And right now I have uh, all the font really large on this iPad. There's white hair growing on my body. There's all these other things happening that are just signs of getting old. Probably the reading glasses is the last straw. I was at this, this Momofuku thing in New York. And I had, they, people caught me with reading glasses and they were making fun of me. I'm just saying, I was that guy too. I was making fun of people that had put in reading glasses on for the first time. But let me tell you another thing that is happening. Rapidly failing memory. Where it's not rapidly failing like, a, like something terrible is happening. It's now like a gradual decline where I can't remember names as well. I used to be very good with names. And here's the deal. I can remember everything about the person sometimes, what we've done together, but the name is getting fogged. And like the way I describe it to myself is just like my vision is getting worse and worse and worse. Like the ability to conjure the name is getting out of focus just like my vision is. And I don't know what to do. When you clearly have met somebody many times and you used to know their name very well, but you may not have seen them in like 10 years, five years, three years. And I meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of people. It's becoming a real problem, folks. And I'm not sure what to do. There's the, the, this, my, this slice is really like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in a situation where like, it's very Seinfeld. Like, what are you supposed to do? Why, you, you're waiting for that opportunity. You're waiting to introduce somebody else. I feel like you can't even use that move anymore. You cannot use that move when you're in a gathering and some people don't know other people, but you know some people and you're introducing somebody, but you don't remember the person you're talking to. So you do the old, let me introduce you to, you know, like that move is, I don't remember your fucking name. Like 
let's just be call a spade a spade here. You can't pull that move anymore. You cannot say you're you're having a lengthy conversation about last time you met them, something that they remember that you did that you're talking about, you know, it's going on and on and on. You're you're you even get a refill on your cocktail, and you're drinking, and you're talking. And you're like, I don't remember this person's fucking name. And, you know, your wife's on the other side of the room. There's no help, but there's other friends. And you're waiting. You're hoping that some satellite person in the universe comes to your right side. So you can be like, hey, you know. Anytime that happens, it's a sign that, oh, this person doesn't remember my name. You can't pull that move anymore. Don't you guys agree? It's it's the most like most panic I feel in a social situation. It's like oh shit, okay, contextual clues. Contextual, okay, look around. What do I got? Like, and then I'll just be like, well, you you, you know, like hey, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure you've felt this before. And then I'll just like keep using you, 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 you. And then like I I'm like he definitely knows. And yeah. then you start playing this game of like, does he know? Does he know I don't know his name? Does he know I forgot? It's one of the worst feelings in the world. Victoria, it seems like you you you, you can relate to this. Yeah, I was thinking, I usually hope there's someone else that knows their name around, and I kind of wait until they walk off, and I'm like, hey, what was his name again? Like, what was her name? You know what's the worst feeling in the world? Like, two days later, we're like, oh, yeah, that was their name. (laughs) I was just saying, like, I don't have any, uh, I don't have any uh, other pitches in my arsenal. Can somebody tell me how 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 to do this properly? What are some strategies? Something that was not like mnemonic either, right? Like I can't, I'm not going to play those games. Just like what I need is not to memorize. What I need are other ways of revealing some, getting some information about someone's name that you, it can't be the first time. Listen, I think it's okay to not remember anybody's name when you meet like a group of 10 people for the first time. That's okay. But like, I, there's no rhyme or reason for somebody that you've met many times that you can't remember them. Right? Like, I, I gotta be honest. I'm not, not, I've met Jay-Z a lot of times in my life. Right? Never once has he remembered my fucking name. Never fucking once. And every time he's like, why are you, I, I just, I know that he's thinking to himself, why are you here? That's okay. I know he's feeling that. No problem. I don't expect him to know. That's like a totally different ball game where it's like, oh my god! Like, it's, it, yeah. Do you have like a threshold where it's like it's okay if you don't remember? My well, name. no. What what happens with Roy Choi and myself and David Cho all the time is, man, I loved your book, LA Tacos, so good. <laughs> Hoppins all the time. Roy, you know what I'm talking about. Dave Cho, you know what I'm talking about. Oh man, your paintings are so sick, Roy. Kogi's the best. Yeah, you know. I just came back to a restaurant at the MGM Grand. So much fun. I'm like, yeah. Again, like, I don't even know what to do when that happens. I know this shit happens to the Roy. I know that shit happens to the Dave Cho. I'm just saying, like, when you do that, just remember, you're being incredibly racist. Yeah, what you're saying is we all look the same. We know. We get it. We get it. You're a closet racist that people don't know. But you're you're racist. It's okay. 
We all look the same to you. It's okay. Especially two Asian guys that cook. Two Korean guys that cook. We're all the same. Pork buns, tacos, same thing. Anyway, I legitimately want to have some emails. If you want to send them in to Ask Dave at Major Domo Media, please do so. Or you can send them into the Discord channel. Just tag you know or just put it out there. Someone from the team will get it. And that's at MajorDomoMedia.com and click on the link to take you to Discord if you haven't signed up already. Um, I want to know, does anyone have a special maneuver, special technique to extract a name in conversation that is not the, hey, let me introduce my friend here. What's your name? You can't do that. I don't know if there's any other pitch. I think there's only, that's the only one that's out there. That's it. I mean, you might be able to do it if you're like, hey, excuse me, let me use the restroom. And you go back and you like look them up potentially, right? On LinkedIn or something like that. But like you remove that. But in mid-conversation, I think there's, I don't know if there's any other, other way to do it. I think the one saving move is like, if you're going to get their number, they'll just be like, hey, also, can you just text me your name so that I know to put it in the contacts, right? Like, I would kind of pull that move and then they'll text me their name. No, you can't say that either, you know? What do you mean? Just text me your number. Like, especially if they already have you, you already have their number. (laughs) That's awkward. Yeah, that's definitely. You don't know if you have their number or not. Yeah, that's rough. I'm just saying, please enlighten me, folks. I want to know. So I'm not a dumbass that's waiting for somebody to help me out. I really like doing the So You Want to Be because one of the things I enjoy is when individuals sort of take a different career track than what anybody might expect of them. I have no idea if Ben's parents and his friends were like, yeah, you should just be a football analyst. I have no idea. Maybe they were encouraging him the entire time. But the reason I guess I enjoy learning about how people became whoever they are in their walk of life and their career is because growing up as a Korean kid, I was, I was like, I have to be a golfer, which is again, weird enough in Virginia, but like most immigrants, doctor, lawyer, academic, engineer, finance, something like that. So to be able to stray away from that, from the status quo, from the well-traveled path that oftentimes people are on. I love those moments. I love those stories, right? I love when we had the poo doctor on telling us how she became a poo doctor, right? That was one of the funniest things ever. We're going to continue to do these things. Um, So instead of just asking Ben about, we'll talk a little bit of football, but I want to know how the hell it happened. To me, those are the most interesting moments um, because I think it can be extremely illuminating for anybody in their own walk of life. There's no, not one person that hasn't thought to themselves like, man, I wish I could be doing that, but I can't because of this, this, and this. So listen, it's fascinating. I can't wait to find out. I've never spoken to him before. I've listened to him many times. And I do believe for me that he's one of the most brilliant people about football. And he's able to break down films in a way that uh, I've never had before. But again, like, What do I know? I'm just an average fan. I don't know how long you've been part of the ringer. Um, And I I, I honestly, I I know 
extremely little about you other than when I first heard you on the podcast of Bill's podcast, I was like, who is this guy? And why is he so informative? And if Bill has him on the podcast, he clearly must know something that other people don't because that's just what he, you know, what Bill has always done. And I, I just always found it funny because you'd be like, oh no, I can't watch football because I'm going to church on Sunday, but I'm betting and all these things. I was like, who just seemed like this enigma of a figure. And then I saw a photo of you. I was like, this cannot be the same dude. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way. And I was saying earlier that I love it when people do jobs or find a calling in their life where nobody would ever expected it. Did you think you were going to have a career being a football analyst? No chat. No, I was, uh, I was in college. I was undecided a year after I was in year two, year one, I'd shown up as a physics major, dropped that like it was hot. That wasn't it. Uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I started blogging about the Eagles, I'm an Eagles fan from PA. Uh, I started blogging about them because I was bored and I saw uh, you know, and and add to do it in, in an article I read in the Bleacher Report team stream. Uh, I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have ESPN growing up. We didn't subscribe to SI. Like, I didn't, I didn't have any of the heroes that a lot of sports writers do. For being very honest, I didn't know a lot about Bill Simmons, <laughs> who he was and kind of what he did. It just wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a universe for me. But I started writing about uh, the Eagles and the, the editor there is a guy named Chuck Booth. He's a good guy. Uh, he told me you should get on Twitter. You should start to, you know, kind of connect with some people and and see what this this field can do and like see all the, the great stuff you can do. And so I, I I went into it kind of full bore. I'm not good at going into things half bore. And then by my senior year, I was I was working full time. And I was like, all right, well, a lot of people want to be able to give this a shot in their lives. I have a shot to do this. Let me see if I can actually get it done. And we've been all right ever since. So still still uh, doing our best over here. So you got to back up. Yeah. Did you play sports? I ran cross country. Come on, man. <laughs> I played I played uh, football until uh, seventh grade. And then Mikey Nickerak, who would go on to be a star pitcher for Strasburg High School, was drafted first round by the Rockies. Mikey Nickerak was our quarterback. Uh, picked me up during an Oklahoma drill and planted me about six feet deep in the ground. I remember looking up at the sky being like, all right, I'm 90 pounds. I got to maybe accept that this is reality for me. I remember we were doing, we were doing like conditioning ones. And the coach was was like trying to motivate us. And he was yelling. He was like, you know, football is all you got. You don't like school. You don't like homework. And I was like, I really like school, man. The school's good. I like homework. Homework's fun. I like to read. Uh, maybe this is, this is not for me. Um, but I was a huge football fan. Uh, and so I was in marching band for my entire uh, high school career, just like screaming at the sidelines, going ballistic at play calls, <laughs> not not being a, a productive member of the band. Um, but yeah, so I, I knew I, I, I'm... I'm like five seven. I was like a buck ten in high school. Like that football was not going to be it for me. But I never didn't love the game, and I was I was at every high school game growing up. And if I went to a college where they did football games, I would have I would have been there too. So that means if you went to a college that had football games, you either went to a small school or a school where dumb people do not go. Uh, yeah, I went to University of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that's where. Where football football games <laughs> happened in like the collective organized sense. Well, listen, I have a bunch of friends out of Uni- University of Chicago. They're not dumb. You, I mean, yeah. you have to like make a decision to go to U- University of Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was basketball I got into. So I started with that. Uh, but then also they were like 
uh, financial aid wise, like they were always the, the the call for me. And I was really excited to be in Chicago. And I was uh, I, I called the football games my freshman year. I was on the radio for calling the games, just like talking scheme stuff. And just like no one was listening. I think six total people were listening to these calls. Out of blast, man. It was fun. So like. Well, and, and the University of Chicago's had a very storied physics department as well. So, like, I, you know, you should be doing something like that, right? But you're not. Mm-hmm. But my question really is, how the hell did you start to break down football and understand it? Was it like Madden? Like, what happened here? No, I, n- I never grew up playing Madden. Uh, I, <laughs> it, it, it just wasn't, like, it wasn't really are um like we didn't have it a lot growing up so like growing up i had like i said we didn't have espn or anything like that we had kind of basic cable and and my pops is a diehard Steelers fan his whole life my mom is a jets fan uh we grew up a football family right so it was it was homework on saturdays and then sunday was yeah it was my pops is a priest so it was church in the morning and then football the rest of the day and I, when i was a kid i didn't really know those two things were different i thought they were kind of like the same level of importance that one was more important than the other. Uh, you learn that later. Uh, and so I just, it was the only, like, we weren't basketball, we weren't baseball. The only thing we, we really watched, the only sport we cared about was football and we cared about it real deeply. Um, so I was going to be a huge football fan. I was going to be a, a fan who knew the stats of, of the third wide receiver on the team, like my whole life, no matter what I ended up doing. Um, but in college, like I, I, I didn't go to a huge high school and I was a little bit like big fish, small pond. And, and I was really excited to go to like a real big college and like a college for smart kids. And I thought I was going to go and just like what, you know, I thought I was going to go and, and, and be the hot, like the big, the big thing there, the same way I was kind of in high school with, with academics. And then I got my tail whooped my entire freshman year. Be very clear. Like, all right, like you're smart, but you ain't smart like that. Um, and so I had to do a lot of reorienting when I was in college. And like, what do you actually like to do? Uh, and I really like to talk about football. And when I got, on Twitter and I started reading like, like obviously like you'd read Mina and like, like uh, Barnwell. And I, I, I would listen to Kevin Clark and Robert Mays on the original ringer NFL show, like religiously in college, man. And you start to realize like, Oh, like the pinnacle of football coverage isn't Bill Cower in a turtleneck on the CBS sports halftime show being like, they got to run it more. Like to my head, that was the pinnacle. Like it was, that was, that was the, that was the top of football analysis. And I got ex- uh, exposed to a world where like, no people really truly like fully fundamentally understand this game. And there's just like ex players and coaches that are talking about it. For somebody who like I, I like to learn stuff, I like to get into stuff. Like I just tend to just pick up hobbies and and go crazy on them, and then move on to the next thing. Like uh, the fact that that world existed for football, which I loved so much, was incredible to me. So I I, I got as deep into it as I could to understand fundamentally the, the game as as deep of a level as I possibly could. And then it turns out people really like reading that coverage and consuming that coverage when it's done in an interesting and engaging and educational way. And so I, I never said like, oh, like I want to have a career in football. Let me try to cover the sport this way. I just said like, this is what I find cool about the sport. And then there's, there's people who are willing to hitch their, hitch their wagon to that train. And that's pretty cool. I think that's beautiful to do something that you love to do, right? People may not always understand that. It's not an obvious thing. But so you're watching, where are you getting this footage to watch film? And are you watching everything in college? Are you watching college football? NFL, what, what, yeah, so where I, I are you getting doing, access to this stuff? Yeah, so I started doing draft coverage, um, which in the mid-2010s, there was a site called Draft Breakdown, which was just ripping broadcast footage of college games, cutting it up to feature just one specific player who was going to be in the draft, and then posting that online, which was high-key illegal. And then they got in a lot of trouble and it got shut down. 
But in the mid-2010s, this was home base, right? And there was a huge community on, on Twitter, draft Twitter. Like, this was really when the NFL draft was, like, exploding in relevance. If you think about it, like, when Ben Roethlisberger was drafted out of Miami of Ohio in 04, like, you read the newspaper, and it was like, Ben Roethlisberger's good. And that's all you could do. So you couldn't go find Miami of Ohio film, right? But now, for fans of teams, like, the second a guy gets drafted, right? Like, the Seahawks take an Illinois corner at five overall. You can go online and find every Illinois game. And so, like, fans now want really, really that draft coverage. They want to watch the player their team just drafted and then have experts dialogue with them about what that player is doing and why it's impressive. And so my first big foray, big move was, was draft Twitter. And there were a ton of people who were breaking down film of players who are ex-players and college players and scouts and whatever that were just online, just constantly talking about, you know, this guy has this responsibility. This is an example of quickness. This is an example of processing. This is an example of, you know, he got beat because he's not big enough. He's not long enough. Like, there's just so much data there. There's so many different guys to watch, and everybody's talking about these guys. So I watched a ton of draft coverage, and I did a ton of draft work at a place called the Draft Network, which they are NDT Scouting, later became the Draft Network, with a lot of good guys there who spent a lot of time working with me on, like, okay, I used to play defensive end. Like, here's how the defensive line works. You know, here's how we scout quarterbacks. Here's what they look at. Um, and so that was, to me, like, that was, I was a goldmine. Everybody had, there were so many players to talk about. Everybody had interest in it. That was a rocket ship for me early. And you talk about college like it happened a few years ago. Honestly, it looks like you're. Do you have a guess? How old? I mean, you're like Benjamin Button, man. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Tw- I'm 26. I graduated college 2019. Like right before the pandemic. I mean, you're- yep. I-, I graduated summer of 2019, got hitched January 2020, and then the world shut down March 2020. And big year for me. But in four years, You've become an expert. You are. You are. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I mean, I, I listen. I do watch a lot of football too. Like, uh, I I think that you have an ability that a lot of experts don't have, and I think it's made me because you didn't grow up playing football. I think it's an amazing ability that you have to communicate things that happen and break it down to people that don't know all the nuances in football, but. That's that's crazy. It's like I'm a big believer in that ten thousand hour rule. Right? Like, when did you hit ten thousand hours? Probably senior year of college, breaking down film. I like maybe I would say probably later than that. Uh, I had to actually do some of the schoolwork sometimes. <laughs> maybe not super great job on the schoolwork, uh, but really, especially like my first year out of college when we hit pandemic as well. Like, that's really where I I started to produce work that was of a caliber. I was I was proud of it, and I think that that's when like. You know, the, the, I think more notice came from from like people like Mallory, right? Like Mallory read my work and, and was the first person to reach out to me at the Ringer. Uh, so I, probably at that point, I um, but yeah, I've it became really clear to me while I was doing the work that a lot of ex players were talking about the game with like similar like levels, levels of detail, with greater levels of detail, for being honest, uh, with 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 greater insight, but. I, I was good at explaining things. I, I was good at getting things from A to B. Like it's one thing to have the knowledge, another thing to get it across to somebody who doesn't. And that's really where the magic of this is. It, it, in my experience, the stuff that I enjoy doing, like I get emails from people who listen to the pods and they say they like the pods because I have a lot of energy. I'm like, cool, that's great. I appreciate that. Thank you. That is good. And then you get people reach out and they say they like it for whatever thing. And then I get an email from somebody that's like, hey, I really like this because I've always wondered about football. And I've always wondered how like this this defense works, and the way that you explained it now makes sense to me. And now my enjoyment of the game is deepened because my education, my knowledge of the game is deepened. That's one that hits home. Where I'm like, that's something that I I I can I actually hang my hat on, something I'm proud of. 
because everybody wants to know the game better, but a lot of the people who know the game well aren't the best at getting that information across. And so me being able to bridge that is, that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to do well. That's what I think I do well. So it's cool. And your physics background, even though you changed your majors your freshman year, like that's clearly got to help you understand things in a different way that a traditional football analyst doesn't have or didn't grow up in. Like what, what do you think happened in your youth or up to making that career change that gave you a special ability? Like for me, for example, I think literally going to college and I was a religion major proved to be actually extremely beneficial for me in my industry because it gave me something different. I, I was able to look at things in a different way. And now, you know, Literally nobody graduated, I mean, I don't say nobody, very few people were college graduates that were entering the culinary profession. Now everybody is for the most part. But what was your superpower? What was your advantage you think that you had early on? That Yeah. My, um, uh, uh, my mom's a teacher. Uh, my older sister is now a teacher. My pops, like I said, is a priest, which is a very similar role to teaching. Um, and then when I was in college, I, I, I worked at a camp every summer where I was a counselor at the camp. And then I was also a ropes course facilitator. Um, so take kids, put them up on high elements, they're climbing rock walls, they're doing stuff up in the sky, whatever. Um, I was raised by really good communicators, really intentional communicators. And then when I was in high school and it was college, I spent a lot of time learning how to communicate, right? I was a camp counselor. It was four two week sessions, right? So you're doing it for eight weeks in the summer where you've got kids in a cabin and they're, you know, it's a church camp. And so they're going up against some like challenging ideas and like, you know, learning stuff about themselves. And they're also interfacing with one another. I just did a lot of work on, on, communicating and also like i don't know this is kind of like i don't want to sound too self-impressed self-important also like empathetic communication like a lot of um doing this job is, is kind of knowing where people are at that are watching that are talking like i've been talking a lot about the bills recently here's like a good example um i did like a video on the bills this week and like the bills are five and four and obviously like everybody's super fired up and the bills fans are really frustrated with their offensive coordinator ken dorsey if you look at like numbers and stats and film he's doing just as good of a job as the previous guy did but the reality is that for Bills fans, two or three years ago, Josh Allen finally got good. Brian Dable, their old offense coordinator, was credited for a lot of that. Everything felt amazing. Since then, they haven't beaten the Chiefs, they haven't beaten the Bengals, they keep losing in the playoffs. They just want to blame somebody. And I, I, I tell them about the numbers. They like, go, oh, well, the numbers are good, so Ken Dorsey's good. They're still going to feel inherently, internally, like this guy isn't as good as the other guy because it felt better with the other guy. And so when you, when you go to talk about Ken Dorsey, you can't say, okay, well, the numbers are good, so Ken Dorsey's good. You have to say... But as a Bills fan, you're watching this and you're feeling like things should be different. And you talk about what the things that are different are. And that's just a way to like provide the analysis without alienating the fan base and just saying like, hey, you guys are dumb and wrong because I'm looking at EPA and the EPA numbers tell me it's okay. Like that's not going to land for people. So you got to like meet people where they are a little bit. So for me, like it's, it, I always think about things in terms of, of communication. I think about things in terms of getting ideas across simply and concisely and accurately and like respectfully of other people's fandoms too. So you're not just using analytics. You're finding ways to communicate really esoteric information. <laughs> and that's your, that's your special skill. Can I go back when you made that decision to, to make football your career? Were you like, what the, what the, what, 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 what am I doing? And were your parents like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my folks were, they were, they were cool. They were, they were generally solid. Um, my, uh, uh, my folks, like I said, they're huge football fans. And so this for them is, is sick. Like they're into it. Uh, my senior year, when I, like I said, I started working full-time my senior year at the draft network. Um, 
there was like a conversation about like, all right, like you still have to stay in school and finish your degree and you can't, you know, totally miss all of your classes and all your, your GPA drop. And so I think that, that was the stressor for them. Uh, but then they, they, I think they understood and they were, they were comfortable with the idea of me giving it a try. I was more trepidatious about it because like I said, I got, I got married about like six months after I graduated. I was dating my wife for the entirety of college. I was just thinking like life stuff, you know, like I, I wanted to make sure that I gave this a try, but also that I was willing and ready and able to make a change if I needed to make a change for like the family and, 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 and livelihood and whatever. I'm so just insanely lucky with like the, the, the spots that I landed and being able to, to make money in this early to keep me afloat, to allow me to keep spending time on this. That way I could get good enough at it to like actually make it into a career. Like the Eagle spot that I ended up writing at bleeding green nation, which is the SB nation blog covering the Eagles. Like that's, that's the biggest NFL fan blog that SB nation has. And that's all because of the work of the people who were there before me, like Brandon Lee Gowan who's run that site for forever. Mike K like guys who were, who were there previously. And so when I got in that spot, there was an actual like associate editor job for me that made me enough money to like justify spending time on that. That was not, I didn't earn that at all. Like it was there for me because other people had warranted the, the interest in the site. So like, uh, that that cushion was huge because I don't know how long I would have given myself on this if I was in the spot where most people my age were, where they're just kind of floating on not really making much money doing it. So I'm I'm absurdly lucky for that reason. And let's just say, like uh, you know, in a sliding doors alternate reality, that it didn't work out. What what was your backup plan? Uh, so I ended up graduating with a degree in uh, in developmental psychology, comparative human development. They call it at U Chicago. Wow, fancy, <laughs> incredible. Because um, like I said, I was being a camp counselor every year, and uh, my like I said, my mom's teacher, my sister's a teacher, my brother's in social work. Uh, like my family was just all about working with with kids in a variety of ways, um, and so I was pretty ready to like enter like the camp sphere or enter the teaching sphere, enter the social work sphere. Like TFA was something that was on my mind. My sister did a, a TFA equivalent program a couple years before me that I was kind of interested in. Um, so I was going to, you know, do the thing with the kids. And like, what's cool now is like, I, I get to do youth group at, at church, which is the bomb. Uh, and like, I'm going to, the second I have enough time, I'm going to coach a high school football team. And I can't wait to just be like a super obsessed assistant defensive backs coach. Uh, I'm, I'm stoked for it. But that I still get to do that in other aspects of my in other areas of my life, which is huge because I, I I need that sort of interaction. It's it's awesome for me. It bumps me up. I mean, I told Bill like I just think your talent is off the charts, and I I just really love Thank everything you. you do. And I was telling some of the producers, I was like, "Why isn't an NFL team hiring you? Have you had any offers?" I no, uh, and I don't. I, I don't go about soliciting them. I don't think I would but do if a they good job did, with them. If they did, if they're the Eagles, right? Howie gives you a call and says, hey, why don't you come down to training camp? And, not, you know, you're clearly going to say yes, right? What if what if it was like an entry-level position? Would you take it? No, I don't think I would. Um, I So firstly, like entry-level positions majorly suck, right? They are <laughs> bad. Um, and and that's not to say like I'm I'm too good for them, but it's to say that like I'm 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 here in Michigan. Like we really like our 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 community. We like where we live. We bought a house last year. Like I'm I, I don't want to uproot that for you know something that's that's like kind of a, a very fragile thing and a very fleeting thing. The way that a lot of these entry level positions are, I think that I could do it well, but I also think that it would it would cost a lot out of me. Like I I'm not with a team. I'm just covering the league and like 
I, I, I tend to work more than I should and, and not get some great sleep and not do some great health. And but maybe I put on a few pounds every season and, and I, 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 I'm bad at not putting my whole, you know, both cheeks into everything. Uh, and, and if I were with the team and, and kind of that competitive streak were lit up, I, I, I wouldn't spend enough time at home as I should. I wouldn't spend enough time with my wife and I wouldn't spend enough time at church or just like at peace. So um, you, you, you it wouldn't would be good. You would say no to like a career that maybe would make you like a head coach somewhere or like a general yeah. manager. Well, I think like, oh, like, oh, like a head coach, general manager somewhere. Listen, like when I'm 40 and 45, I'll probably feel different about it. And, uh, and they're like Pete Carroll's 73 and he's still kicking. I'm very happy to like, you know, to, to change my, my, uh, my tune on it like years from now. Right now, I, I'm, I, I'm really proud of what I'm doing. Ah, proud's probably not the right word. Sometimes I struggle with that. I'm really happy with what I'm doing. Um, and I like the balance that I have and I wouldn't want to give it up. Uh, if there's an opportunity to try that now, then there's going to be an opportunity to try that again later. Like, uh, 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 and, and I'll take it when it comes. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at. It makes I'm sense. On Dave Chang show, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I mean, I, when we had Kevin Clark on, and sometimes we have Kevin O'Connor, and it seems like a stretch to anybody, but I love sports of all, all kinds. But I also love it when certain patterns in sports have its analog in the world of food and other parts of culture, right? And the sort of the, the, the beginnings of analytics and in sports, right? That, that, that collision of this is how it's always been done versus this is the new way, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're a nice synthesis, synthesis of, of what's happening, right? And my, what I want to get to is I look at you and, and what you've compiled in terms of data and you're able to, to, to just have a very compelling platform to explain all the stuff. But you've only been doing it for, I don't know, eight years, let's say, seven years. 26 years old. I think that what you're doing is what's happening in my industry all the time. Yeah. People that were not trained to be a chef and you don't have to be a chef. You can have many different careers in the culinary world without being a chef, a restaurateur, or I don't even know what, but you have to have that passion, right? And if you are an expert at it and you know more about it than anybody else, and that's the thing is the knowledge before was not available, right? Yeah. Before social media, before the internet, it was not available. There was very few people that, that, that were able to gatekeep that information. So you couldn't. Like, I would actually have to work at a restaurant for a year just to learn how to make one dish, right? Mm-hmm. Think that what you're doing today was not possible 1985, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I'm insanely grateful for because... I didn't go to J school, didn't take a single journalism class. Uh, my dad is not an executive somewhere, you know, uncle, whatever. Like, I'm very proud of the fact that I hopped online one day and I started chopping wood and, and I got to where I'm at by doing that. Uh, that makes me, that, that's a cool feeling for me. And like you said, it, it gives me a perspective that other people don't have, right? When you go through journalism school, you're going to get framed a certain way. When you go through the league, you're going to get framed a certain way. Like we always like to talk about, I say we like kind of the, you know, football nerd collective back, like a lot, a lot of, uh, uh, back quarterbacks, career quarterbacks are now guys who do film analysis, right? Your Darren Olowski's and your Chase Daniels and your, uh, you know, name whoever else, like a lot of guys who are color commentators, uh, uh Kurt Warner's there. He's not a backup, but like all these quarterbacks, they all think about quarterbacking a certain way. They think about it the way they played it. Think about it the way they taught it. Right. Versus me. I can sit back there and be like, no, like actually like, 
quarterback mobility is a huge thing, right? This is like five years ago. Like, no, let quarterbacks run, let them scramble. Just because you couldn't be fast enough to do it doesn't mean Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson don't get to run around, right? So there's there's different perspectives that come from different backgrounds. And that's why that widening of that river, uh, allowing more people to get into the space is beneficial. It's rising tide lifts every boat. Now, I'm sure there are people that are not excited that you're doing what you're doing because you've feels like you've cut the line to some degree, right? Or mm-hmm. there's a certain way of doing it. And this is not, mm-hmm. again, you haven't followed that path. And again, for, for my life and my career in the food world, the most interesting people that are changing the game or have even done it in the past, going back 40, 50 years, they weren't, uh, they were self-taught, right? The most interesting ideas are people that are not coming from a specific school uh, or a philosophy of this is how you have to cook, but they're passionate and they've learned everything humanly possible. And now they're doing things that no one else is doing. So I do see those parallels, but how do you deal with maybe the criticism that you're doing it differently, right? Like, I'm sure some of those football players are saying like, God damn it, this kid's like taking my scoop again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't get into this thinking I was going to make everybody pleased. And anybody who comes into it thinking they're going to make everybody happy, I think is disabused of that notion pretty quickly. Um, I, I would say that like, I try to not be a guy who spoils for fights online or not be a guy who shouts people out on pods. I know I just made fun of backup quarterbacks, but that was, that was a loving thing. Uh, <laughs> and so you try to treat everybody square. And then if, if folks are frustrated with, with you and how you came across things, which like anytime I say anything critical about a team's fan base, like, my profile picture gets screenshotted immediately. And there's like, look at this kid. Like, who does he think he is? That's, that's fair. I look like I'm, I'm young and I am young and that's going to frustrate some people. I, it, uh, I got to be comfortable with the work that I do. I got to be proud of the work I do and, and, and feel like I did good work. And when I'm wrong, I got to take my lumps. And, uh, that's going to be true no matter what age I'm at or where I'm doing it. And so just trying to, you try to orient yourself on the right mindset and just stick to it. And if you have a bad day, Tell your friends you're having a bad day. They'll tell you to get offline. You get offline. You try to go take a walk and and, and, and just just uh, cool down as best you can. And identifying talent. How mm-hmm. if you just look at film, are you gonna be okay with an analysis, or do you need to understand the personality of the individual? Or can you extrapolate that just from watching them play? Because when I uh, I was hanging out with Daryl Green and he was telling me about Emmanuel Forbes, right? Yeah. He looked at one little clip and he told me, which I can't say right now, like what, what he thought was going to potentially happen. And he had inside knowledge, but it, it told me more about, he, it told him more about his personality than, in, mm-hmm. than anything else. Like, are you able to extrapolate players' personalities from how they play? Yeah. Uh, one of the really beneficial things about having all 22 film, which is the coach's film that that kind of, uh, it shows the whole field. So you're going to get all 22 players on at all times is you can see how guys behave when they're away from the ball. You can see how guys behave when they're near the sideline. You can see when, how guys behave after they get blocked, after they get bossed, after they get embarrassed. And a lot of that stuff is very beneficial to just knowing where guys heads are at as they play like future plays. Right. Uh, we all tilt. We all get frustrated. Right. We all and then we all have like uh, individual momentum. We all get get amped up and excited. And you can see that story kind of told over the course of, of, of film. You can also see just uh, uh, guys who are, are, are firebrands, guys who bring energy, right? I brought up Devon Witherspoon, the, the corner out of Illinois, went to Seattle at five overall. You watch some Devon Witherspoon film, you're going to want to strap on some pads and hit somebody. I mean, he fires you up. Like, this guy loves football. And that 
doesn't matter to every team and it doesn't always matter. But to the Seattle Seahawks, it has and it always has. To Pete Carroll, it has and it always has. Pete likes for his DBs to have a little bit of dip on their chip. And that's important to him. And then Devon Witherspoon goes and they know how to make a guy like that work, right? They understand how to work with that personality and how to how to motivate that player and how to get him to motivate others because they've done it before. Uh, and so the the pseudo psychology of, of scouting is always a challenging thing because none of these scouts and general managers like know what they're talking about actually. And so they can make assumptions and, and claims that are probably aren't that great. But in general, like uh, when we're talking about evaluating and bringing in talent, first and foremost, you got to know if the guy can play physically is he able to do it. But secondly, like, does he want to, and how does he want to, and what does he want to do? Uh, you have to understand the personality of the guy. Some of that's on film. Some of that's on talking to him. Um, how screwed are the commanders? How bad are we? Is Sam Howell, are we, are we, should we just tank, trust the process, play for Caleb Williams? And is Caleb Williams that good? So there's nothing wrong with hanging with Sam for the rest of the season and kind of seeing what's what. Uh, I tend to say that a quarterback doesn't change his stripes, though. Uh, even if a guy gets better, he tends to get better within his play style, within the way that he plays. And Sam takes a lot of sacks. And it is hard to win football games when your quarterback just prohibitively takes a lot of sacks. Some of that's offensive line, but a lot of that's quarterback and doesn't go away. Uh, and so that's the thing that you're watching for is just, can we get this guy to speed up his process? Can we get him to kind of manage risk a little bit more and, and cut down on the sack numbers? If you end up in a spot where you're 7-10, and 10, you're not in the range of quarterbacks, you have to get creative. But if you start losing, then yeah, I think it's time to move off of Sam and, and potentially get a new quarterback. I don't know if you're going to be able to trade up for Caleb. I don't know if anybody who gets the first overall pick is going to give it away for anything. Caleb's real good. Uh, is uh, I've heard like generational. I don't buy that. I've heard like best sense luck. I don't buy that. Uh, I think that like you put him and Trevor Lawrence when those two were coming out side by side, I think you're going to get a lot of NFL teams that prefer Trevor. But Caleb can do things that we we don't have a quarterback in every draft who could do that stuff. Like this is like a once every two or three years guy in terms of the the talent and stuff that he can get away with, the stuff that he can achieve. You get that in the building and you develop it every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Like you take that one one, and even if you have to live with like knucklehead scramble drill stuff and like he makes mistakes and whatever, this guy's is preternaturally gifted. You have to take a look at it. So I think he's going one one. I don't think the commander's gonna be bad enough to get that pick. Enjoy you some Bo Nix film. All right. It'll be great. It'll be fun. Um Man, I, I could continue to talk to you forever, but uh, we should we should let you go because people that listen to this podcast aren't listening to it for football, football analysis. <laughs> <laughs> but um, man, I appreciate you. And uh, if you ever, you're never in LA, right? I, they bring me out every so often. They make me do a thing. I've been in that that studio before right. doing TikToks and the like. Well, let, let's 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 um, let's take you out to dinner next time you're here. I appreciate that, Dave. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, All right, man. Fun. Thanks, man. What's an interesting guy? <laughs> Dude was incredible, man. Yo, yo, his EQ is off the chart. It's I, I didn't even know what to do because, like, if we didn't end it, it was never going to end. But he's also doing work while he's doing the interview too. Could you hear his mouse clicking and all yeah. that shit? Yeah. That guy is multi-processing. You, everything you're saying, we should just put it on the podcast. His, his emotional intelligence is like insane. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was, I, there was a bunch of things I wanted to ask, but I also knew that this isn't the right podcast for that either, because it could have just gone down a rabbit hole. Um, but I was really impressed. What I love about him is his enthusiasm, right? If you watch him break down film, when you hear him talk about C.J. Stroud looking off a receiver and doing something that nobody thought was possible for a rookie at his age or, you know, 
Lamar Jackson doing something athletically so gifted and mature now that he couldn't have done. Like he, his ability to process information and recall information per play. It's like a goddamn supercomputer. And I've never seen anything like it. He's like chat GPT for football. And again, like, that was that was widely impressive. What I'm most impressed about, Ben, was he's like, no, I, I got a plan. And this is what is this is what is happening. So yeah, man. Ben Solak, 26 years old, just bringing bringing the heat every day. Pretty cool. Um yeah, it the way he talks about football is how I like it when people that love food talk about food. Right? Um, And there's so much about football that I love because I can apply it to food. And I really mean that. There are... This... this, I'm, I'm sure history will show us how it all played out 150 years from now, but this democratization of information, the deregulation of the gatekeepers, ultimately. It's it's just changed the entire game in every industry, and you're seeing it in football. I mean, you have a kid that, I don't think anybody would laugh if he got hired to do some some executive position in a football team. Nobody would think, oh, that's crazy. I mean, that's actually the craziest thing. And what's crazy is he know he he could clearly do it and do it at a high level. And he's never played football, but he's watched it and he's been passionate about it. And yeah, there's so many facets in culture where people that are younger are doing that. And I'm seeing it in food. And it's not in the four walls of a restaurant. It's in every other way as well. And it's people that are just fans. People that are going out to eat. And these are the people that I think are like, more knowledgeable. I'll give you an example. There are people that know more about sushi that are not sushi chefs, right? Little Meg, for example, I always use her because she's like, she's never been a cook, but she knows so much about food. And there are a lot of gourmands that do. There are some gourmands that have tried to become chefs. A couple of them have actually been very successful in doing it. But what I really want to preach here is more about the idea that just because you weren't given a certain set of circumstances doesn't mean you can't do something if you don't pour yourself into it. And that's complete immersion into it. What is most shocking is he was able to have a balanced approach and all of that. And my optimism for at least the food world and other parts, fashion, music, whatever, is there is a band of younger people that are doing things on their terms. They have a vision. They have seen so many hands of poker, right? That you can't really put a, a number on their wisdom on their, because of how they look in their age. Like I always think about somebody was talking about Doyle Brunson, the great one, arguably one of the greatest poker players versus a lot of the younger poker players today in his entire lifetime. Doyle Brunson's probably only seen like a fraction, like a percent of the hands of poker that the younger players that are like late 20s have seen. They've seen like a 100,000x more hands of poker. So in the world of playing poker, they're like 
100 years older than Doyle Brunson. So think about this. as He's been studying film probably, what, 50 to 70 hours a week. He's done that eight hours. You do the math. But he's now, with the, with the technology that allows us to see all, all, tw- all 22, he can see every angle of every position of every game that's been played the past 20 years. And he's probably watched all of it. That's no different than a chess champion being able to recall play like moves of 50, 40 years ago. I just find it to be remarkable. But again, not everyone's going to be like Ben. But I, what I like about trying to do something like this is it should give you hope that whatever you think is a stupid, irresponsible idea isn't irresponsible if you're passionate about it and you have expertise. And expertise means I know more about this. I've studied this more than anyone else. Right? Like, you do that, that's, that's work-life balance. Right? That's what I think is work-life balance. So I, I think it's fucking cool as shit. Um, and I, I think that this is just the beginning for him. So uh, kudos to Ben, and, and we'll hope to take him out to dinner soon. Anyway, Ben, thanks for joining us. You can catch the play sheet with Ben Solak on Spotify Podcast on Wednesdays. Yes, he's on the Philly special and a few others. If you're a fan of the NFL and you're not watching the play sheet, you're doing yourself a disservice. You'll begin to understand the game of football on a completely different level after just a few episodes. And I got to say, being able to be part of the Amazon Thursday Night Football team is just a completely surreal experience. Getting to watch the games with those players, like, it's the best fucking thing I've ever done in my life. I have one Hall of Famer, four excellent, you know, like, one probably future Hall of Famer, two future Hall of Famers in Whitworth and Sherman. Fitzpatrick's a Harvard grad. What, what does he need? But they are able to break down film in each position. Whitworth talking about the line play. Sherman talking about the defensive angles from the cornerbacks. And Tony's... It just is like watching a football game with what I would imagine like Ben Solak to be. But they are experts, but they're seeing it and understanding it because they played the game. There's something powerful about not being in the industry, not being part of that, because it allows you to see things more creatively. It allows you to see things in a different perspective. And I cannot stress that enough, which is why I say, don't, if you want to become a chef, if you want to become anything creative, don't just do the thing that's in your field. Do other shit. And you have no idea what those other things might be. You could be a stamp collector. You have no idea how that's going to fucking connect later in your life. But as long as you're passionate about it, and again, for me, just as an example, I I would say this, outside of Japan, for sure, outside of Japan, no one knew more about ramen than me. Like, from 1999 to 2004, I was on a short list Definitely in America, nobody. No, I wouldn't say nobody. Maybe, maybe. I'm on a list of very few people. Just like he's on a list of very few people. And I can tell you at the time, everyone was like, what are you doing? It's just so stupid. It's never going to be anything. I, I don't study ramen like I used to. But for that period of time, from like my early 20s, 
it proved extremely fruitful for me because I was just so in love with it. I love the subculture. I love the stories. I love the, the history of how it was all created and how it was a revolution against a lot of the more traditional ways of eating in Japan. I saw a lot of things that I wish I could be part of and all of the different permutations of it and the different geography of it and how it came from China, et cetera, et cetera. I just thought it was amazing. And I didn't expect anybody to like reward me for that. I didn't expect anyone to see things from my perspective. I just did it because it was what I wanted to do. So it's extremely refreshing to see Ben follow his football career, man. So uh, really rooting for him and and looking forward to breaking some bread with him soon. All right. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Give us five stars. 